We're back with the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. Now, on top in the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, a post from Carts Mobility and Jerry Huh on a look at the GM Cruise Origin vehicle. And this took place uh, at an event that Axios held recently. Yeah, I, I guess Jerry ended up going down there and uh, and going to the event and seeing the vehicle. Um, I, I don't think I've had the opportunity to see the vehicle. Um, I think this was the first time it was on the East Coast. Um, um, we, we tried the last year to convince GM to bring a vehicle to the summit and um, and weren't able to. I, I don't know that they really had one. They probably had one. I don't know. They've been talking and building prototypes. And as we know, to actually you know develop a vehicle is a long process. It doesn't just happen overnight. And um, and it looks like it's reaching fruition. And and they brought a vehicle down to Washington D.C. And I think Jerry hopped on a train and went down there and saw it, and um, and reported on it. And and he, I think his his he was pretty impressed. It it, it is a purpose built vehicle. Uh, a lot of folks have been trying to talk about building these. Uh, uh, purpose vehicles that would provide mobility or are not meant to be driven by a human um, don't have a steering wheel uh, of course uh, and um, and really have uh, have capabilities that, that allow it to be able to serve many people um, you know somewhat of a level floor one can look at, at being able to to dock it easily so Getting in and getting out is easy as long as you're doing it from a designated um, location as opposed to, you know, middle of the road, hopping in, hopping out like one does with Uber and, and Lyft. I mean, in some sense, it's almost amazing that 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 cities and locales allow that 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 to happen. I, I think it's the case in, for example, Las Vegas, uh, you know, you can't just hail a cab on the street and hop on. New York, you can. Well, you know, that's New York. Um, um, uh, you know, lots of other places, I think, you know, the, the, the pick up and drop off point has to be has to be designated as a place where it can be done, not just anywhere. And so I think the intention of this vehicle is one in which it would be at a designated location. I love the kiosks that we talk about with respect to move style deployments. And um, and it, it, it has capacity for, for ride sharing, which it, of course we think is extremely important on this. Um, Jer Jerry addresses that and talks about the interior being well-designed. He thinks they've achieved a good balance between efficiency, intimacy, and privacy here. Um, and more spacious, he's saying, than similar configurations on Amtrak or, or NJ Transit trains as a comparison. Yeah, so I, I think that's great. I'm going you know, that's that's his opinion. We're glad to present it. Uh, I think he has an eye for these things, and so therefore um, can make a, a good judgment. And again, this is this is a first incarnation. You know, one one expects one to evolve. You know, when Henry brought out the the Model T, you know, the Lightning is not anywhere near the same as the Model T, right? I mean, so. Uh, these are going to evolve, and this is a this is a Model T is a, was a good starting place. This looks like it's a good starting place too. And we can say uh, happy birthday to the Ford Motor Company. They're celebrating 120 years tomorrow. So. <laughs> is that right? Okay, what that two days after my birthday? Oh my goodness! Whatever <laughs> we have, a, and two days before my youngest Laura's birthday. What? <laughs> whatever, you know, everybody has birthdays. That's very, well, very nice. Congratulations. And what Jerry attended was an Axios event uh, titled, uh, and they put a video together called The Path Towards American Made Autonomous Vehicles. They had guests that included Senator Gary Peters of Michigan, Ohio Congressman Bob Latta, 
uh, National Disability Institute Director of Health Equity, Elizabeth Lehman. And there was a segment with the Chief Legal and Policy Officer at Cruz as well. So this was, it's a video that's well worth watching. Yeah, I think it is. And of course, you know, for, for potential deployments here in the U.S., I think the only thing we can reasonably think about are, are for American-made vehicles, uh, I think. You know, uh, you know the whole business of of, of giving um, um, uh, rebates on electric vehicles has to do with the content of the batteries and so on and so forth. I mean, this is this is new technology that uh, that a lot of people think um, is is of strategic value to to the country, and um, and so therefore uh, having GM in there producing this and manufacturing this in America, I think is is absolutely important one one can't even think of trying to do a deployment uh, with a non uh american you know something that can have american made on top of it i i think i mean you know if you if you really want to you know point into the wind well you know i uh, everybody realizes that's probably not the wind you want to point on there are enough winds to point into uh, that one is probably not a good one to do. So um, that's what's uh, what's very wonderful about this. Um, and and to me, I think the, the the real value of the vehicle is the opportunity to provide to provide mobility that 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 really uh, nobody can provide. And you know, to, it's not it's not that you can't get a a, a bunch of dedicated drivers. Uh, to implement a a real demand responsive operation that that provides extremely high customer service and adds additional customer service because it's a human providing the mobility. Um, but that's to do that inexpensively and well. Uh, folks have tried since the birth of Henry Ford uh, of the Ford Motor Company. I suspect to be able to do that. And, and nobody's been able to do that to date. All the innovators that have tried to be able to do that to date affordably. And so the, the opportunity is, as we've said a gazillion times on this podcast, as we've written in, in the e-letter, the, the real opportunity of this, of this vehicle is yes, it has to be safe, but to have it, the objective be that it be safer than everything else is that's that's a pretty tough hill to climb and the chances of you doing that better than anybody else or better than than people driving it is real challenge however what you can do with this is because at least the thought is the theory is theory is because it is Technology on the sensors, technology on the actuator, technology on the on the com computation, and and te technology in terms of the the software to do it. That you put those things together, that at some point we all become innovative enough on that, and then with scale, that thing has enormous opportunities um, to become affordable. Why? Because with scale, these 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 things brought together, the next one is cheaper. The marginal cost, the partial derivative of cost with respect to size, negative. The problem with labor is demand increases for labor. Guess what? People wish to get paid more. Those partial derivatives are, po are, are, are positive. So here you have, you know, one with human-driven technology that can do nothing but go become more expensive, and the other one that has the opportunity to. And then, if you you know you look at history with respect to semiconductors and what and computers and so on, and you throw Moore's law into that, whoo! I mean, that thing dives to zero, and that's the disruption. So this vehicle's opportunity to disrupt is not that it's going to become so much safer than anything else. But if it is safe, then it has the opportunity to become 
so much cheaper. And the affordability then comes and says, well, if you look at, you know, how people choose how to travel, uh, a lot of people, affordability matters. A lot of people stay home because they can't buy a ride. They can't get a ride affordably. Now, all of a sudden, with an affordable mobility out there as, as an offering on the plate for them to now take advantage of, some of us think the sky's the limit. That's when the technology, as you've said before, becomes disruptive. And we, we should point <laughs> out this other headline ties right in here. Yeah, An Inside yeah. EV's headline, GM's cruise says RoboTaxi did not block responders in San Francisco shooting. There was a back and forth online about all of this. And it comes after a, a bystander posted a, a, a video online. And I guess it leads us back to what you've been saying all along. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well, great. The bystander got his or her name and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, now is an influencer. Great. All right, whatever, you know, and who knows whatever. Um, but, you know, the facts seem to be, at least, you know, as Kyle Vaught put it out there, you know, we didn't, we did what, what, we're, what we should do, what we were supposed to do. If I'm driving down a road and, and there's, there's a police or ambulance coming behind me, I yield. I, 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 I stop. I don't race out in front. Right. You get out of the you know, way. That's I get out of the way. Right. Looks like they got out of the way. Because they got out of the way, they're getting whacked. What? What's the matter with San Franciscans? Are you kidding? This is the same reason you went out and whacked Waymo for driving in the fog. What? You folks out there like to drive in the fog? I mean, don't isn't it taught in driver ed? Don't drive in the fog. I I don't know. I, I mean, it just drives me nuts. So there, there not doesn't seem to be an appreciation for what these vehicles can do. I think that it, these vehicles are being presented to 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 a to a, to a customer set that says, <laughs> you know, this isn't any better than what I have. So therefore, get it out of the way. And that's, you know, that's fine. And maybe there is no customer set in, in San Francisco that says, my goodness, um, the affordable mobility opportunity is, gives me, improves my quality of life. Or maybe it's not presented to them. I mean, I mean, I think Cruz. No, that's that's the more likely scenario. Cruz, I think so. Cruz tried when they first came out. They just were going to provide mobility at night. And one of the headlines: Oh my goodness, these guys are you know second class or whatever. They can't do it during the day. No, it's beautiful that they're offering it at night. Why is I guess as I put in the newsletter, you know, in the e-letter, you know, if you if you can't crawl it or if you can't walk it, you need something to get you there. And here they're providing some ways to get you there. When you know the the public entity that's responsible for you know giving you a ride, getting you a ride. They're asleep in bed. They're not operating in those hours. They're getting a good night's sleep. And here's somebody going in and filling the gap. And they get whacked for it. I mean, it just, to me, drives me nuts. Sorry to, you know, the, I, I can put it in very academic terms if you would like. Come on. This is unfair. And you'll have a lot more to say about it in an upcoming book too, Alan. That you've yeah, been busy well, we, we, we try, you know, 
Michael and I are trying to put it in there. And Michael is Michael Senna for Michael Senna and I, you know, we're finishing up the book and, and in there really looks at, you know, these companies, Waymo and Cruise have done a fabulous job of a of proof of concept, of proof of technology. They've gone out there. They've developed the sensors, the actuators, the computers, and the software to have these vehicles go out there and basically not crash. Uh, they might have a little bump here, a little bump there, but they haven't crashed. We have not had a, an Elaine Herzberg situation with them. I think they've done a marvelous job proving the concept, proving the technology. What they now need to do is to do the, the, the proof of market, the proof that there is a valued proposition here that people will want to take and use. They have the opportunity to make mass transit into a profitable business. How long have people been trying to do that? I think they have the opportunity sitting there. You take an, an origin vehicle and you have a productivity of 100 person trips a day and you use that vehicle over four years, 300 days a year, that go through the numbers with reasonable expectations of interest rates. Hey, maybe they're finally flattening out. We'll find out tomorrow whether or not, you know, the increase is zero. Market seems to think so. Okay. It almost doesn't matter what, what GM charges for these vehicles. When you take all that, that kind of productivity, 100 person trips a day, 300 days a year, four years, whatever, interest rates, cost of the vehicle per trip is like, it's pennies, 25 cents, 30 cents. That's the capital cost. You pay for the capital. You don't even have to go to Washington and say, give me a capital grant to buy these things. And then you look at the operating costs. They're all electric. And if you believe Elon, the cost of you know doing electric vehicle is zero. I mean, electric, electricity is free. It doesn't ever need any maintenance and so on. We don't have to go that far. We can even allocate you know some budget there to do maintenance, rehab, whatever. And you find that you can go out there and offer these rides at a few dollars a ride, of course, depending on trip length. But if you look at the trip length of the people that are out there needing a ride, bumming a ride, don't have access to their own car. Much, most of their trips aren't that long. You could be out there providing service to them for which this thing becomes absolutely the best thing for them and they're gonna use it. Because what they're gonna use is what's best. Not second, third, fourth, fifth rate. Now, if you're an 18, uh, uh, whatever year old, and you have your scooter and your scooter can take you to where you're not looking for a ride. If you have your own car, you're not looking for a ride. If you have the stretch driver waiting for you outside the door, you're not looking for a ride. So the chance for these folks to, you know, go out and get them as customers is good luck. But if you look at really what ends up being 50% of the people who want to go anywhere at any instant of time, they don't have a car, their car available to them. A scooter or a bicycle isn't appropriate. They don't have a stretch driver, a limo waiting outside just to take them. Their option is walk or crawl or not go. Uh, yes, there is the mass transit option for some people. When you look at it, the level of service of those things, unless you absolutely just match up, challenging. 
It's so challenging the nationwide, you only get 3% of the trips to take those. To think that they're the best. Where in the heck does that happen? Eh, Manhattan, Northern New Jersey, it's half of them. Rest of the country, huh. good luck. Well, what about the rest of the country providing mobility? I think, I think GM has the opportunity to serve them and make money. And they don't have to go to the Middle East or Arab Emirate, whatever, to do it. Do it right here in America. Right. Uh, you're American-made well, you, product. You've pointed out Trenton. Uh, yeah, well, Trenton's not the only but, one. No, our, our friend Ken Pyle just sent an in, email out uh, talking about uh, Little Rock and the potential to, to bring services there. Yeah, well, Little Rock, what's the story Ken tells? He met, met somebody at the airport or something like that that, that, that I guess the woman, that Uber and Lyft weren't working there. Uber and Lyft left. So, you know, now how somebody in the taxi services, we've always known the taxi services, except in Manhattan was, or in Las Vegas, maybe, you know, during CES was, oh my goodness. And they have the opportunity to do it. Now, maybe they won't get productivities of a hundred person trips a day out there. I probably can get some substantial uh, uh, productivities and turn a vehicle around, boom, on a dime, have it dispatched to go provide the service with a dispatching algorithm that's going to be more responsive, better, react better than any of the dispatching algorithms that Uber, Lyft, DD, or any of those folks have. Why? Because they have to convince a driver to do it. And why isn't Lyft no longer providing shared rides? I don't know what I think, <laughs> which people say, damn it, don't, don't tell us. We don't believe you anyway, whatever. But what I think is, is they can't convince riders to do it. The way they share the revenue isn't good. The way they offer discounts to the people to encourage them to ride and share isn't good. And when the right and when the drivers actually, you know, undergo some of these things, the tensions that they might find, who knows whether they're real or not real, between the passengers isn't worth it for them. And guess what? They decline. Their their decision process in their head in terms of what is the rational best choice for them at the time is decline, decline, decline. If we write an algorithm to do this. We can write a line of code that says, don't decline. Go there immediately. Don't get all bent out of shape because, you know, the one person gets dropped off beyond, be, instead of the others. Maybe even use ChatGPT to, you know, play the right music and, and assuage the people with the right Whatever, don't that I'm not a good assuager, so you don't want to ask <laughs> me to do any assuaging. I'm not, I'm not, my assuaging capability is not all that good. But anyway, I mean, this, this is such an enormous opportunity that they have. And now they have a vehicle. And now Congress might say, you can't, or NHTSA, you can't put this vehicle out in the road because you're going to do this much, you have the potential of doing this much good. What? As we've said before, NHTSA has the objective, not only of safety, but also mobility. Whether or not it's, 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 it's said or it's not said. Because if their objective is only safety, we know what the optimal best solution for safety is. Everybody stay home. It can't be. You've got to trade off safety with the value that comes out of mobility. Now, on the campaign trail, you can say, you know, safety, 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 or whatever. But come on. And as I like to say, you know, if we stay home, then the house burns down and we die in fire and, you know, we should have gone someplace. <laughs> you get silly on these things. Everybody understands this. 
and, and my goodness, I mean, GM and Waymo does it also if they can find a U.S. made vehicle that it, that's appropriate for them. You know, that's a caveat that they, they, you know, they tried to build one and decided that that wasn't going the right way. But, you know, they've got to nuzzle up with somebody who's going to do the vehicle. And you know, I think it has to be U.S. made, but that's my opinion. It has to be safe and has to be U.S. made. And the code has to be U.S. And many of the sensors and many of the actuators have to be U.S. North America. Certainly easier to get political support. Well, I, 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 to me, yeah, I think one, not, no, I think not, it's not just political. I think it's good for the country. I guess, you know, we should be trying to be good for the country. Right. But my my point is that it it is easier to get things moving if you have, uh, I understand Washington behind it. Yeah, and you know we can co- cooperate with China, right. okay? Maybe. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alan, the Toyota Mobility Foundation, <laughs> in partnership with Challenge Works and World Resources Institute, has announced the Sustainable <laughs> Cities Challenge. It's a nine million dollar challenge with the aim of creating safe, inclusive, and sustainable mobility solutions for the future. Yeah, and I think that's great. I, it, it's wonderful that, that philanthropy is entering into this space that in the past is, I guess in the past, been largely you know public or private. And they're sitting there in the middle. And they can, they have enormous flexibility over both the public sector and the private sector. They, they they don't have all the regulation and all that making sure and so on safeguards and so on and so forth that the public sector has put in to be, be able to sort of you know make it so that you know at times you know you get two dollars from you get one dollar for Washington and it costs you two because of all the um, paraphernalia that comes along with it. I mean, that's, you know, being harsh. And on the other side, on the private side, you know, having too much, hey, let's just make money off of these this thing. And having, hey, let's trade that off a little bit and, of course, make sure we're safe. If you're not safe, you're not in business, okay? I mean, everybody's got to realize that, okay? That is a necessary requirement. Doesn't mean, you know, nothing happens. It just means that the probability of something happening is extremely small. And if that, that something happens, you happen to have a war chest to be able to cover it, or at least most of it. And everybody knows that, you know, war chests are never big enough. There can always be acts of God and acts of war and things like that, that, you know, only society as a whole can can help out in. Okay. And as we're finding with the, I-95 bridge collapse. I mean, I mean, I don't know if any of you know I-95 at Cotman Avenue in in North Philadelphia, but or I don't know. I've been in these parts for 60 years. That has always been under construction, reconstruction, and and now it's closed. Both ways well, on I because there's a big chunk of it non-existent. <laughs> it non-existent. It melted. It melted. Oh, I mean, you know, th- that requires that requires more than Philadelphia, almost really more than the reaction by this the state of Pennsylvania. It it, it requires. It, 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 this is a this is a thing where the the federal government as a whole right. has. I to believe come in Secretary Buttigieg was there yesterday. He was there, yeah. and they're they're doing everything they can. You can't expect a tanker truck company to carry enough liability protection for them to protect against that. I I don't think because that number would be so large. And yes, it it, it has happened before. And and uh, Joe Schofer, I think, in, in one of the articles mentioned a couple places, um, uh, the emeritus professor from from um, 
uh, from Northwestern. Mention a couple places where such things have happened before. But it's like, you know, with hurricanes. You know, when hurricanes strike, the local people that are, they need help from everybody. Okay. And if everybody pitches in a little bit, they end up doing okay. So, you know, these situations occur. Luckily, they occur with such low frequency that so far up to this point in time, we've been able to afford it. It hasn't bankrupted the country. Okay. So, you know, sort of works. But you, you have this kind of with, you know, that's the level of safety you need to be to make sure that the really bad event has extremely low probability. If it does, then we'll deal with it because of the value that's going to be delivered by this. You know, the reason we have tanker trucks out there is because we've had to move the energy around that we end up using. We couldn't all live next to a waterfall where we could grab energy. We didn't all have, you know, a big propeller out there that grabs the wind and the wind blows all day long. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of how we've gotten ourselves into this corner. And yes, every once in a while, some bad things happen. Got to take care of it. But let's move on. Let's not, you know, let's not dwell on that one. The same thing here. You know, we really need to be able to, to get to a point in which we're providing mobility in cities. And where I would like to see, again, this is coming from me. Why? Who cares what Cornhouse thinks? But I'll put it out there. You know, where the philanthropy could be is to look at really what's missing in cities and communities. I think what's missing is the is ability of the system to be able to give a ride to somebody who's looking for a ride. A lot of folks can take care of themselves. A lot of folks can't. Some people are way out on that. There's certainly those that are mobility challenged. They need enormous help. But there are a lot of folks that really, if we could provide a demand responsive system, that is affordable and allows the private sector to make money off of it here. They should be the ones coming in. There's been 300 billion invested in this automation of technology over here in the private side. Okay. I don't know what in the public side, but practically nothing. In the philanthropy side, absolutely nothing. The philanthropy could be in there and saying, hey, why don't we leverage this 300 billion and bring it in here and provide this mobility to the folks who, who need a ride, who have to bum a ride to be able to go to where they want to go. Maybe they're bumming a ride from their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, their aunt, their neighbor, guy, gal down the street. Why? Because for where they want to go, when they want to go, they don't happen to have the resources themselves to do it for themselves. So if you look at, you know, the mobility that's out there in the road, as I like to say here in Princeton, on a school day, average vehicle occupancy is less than one. Why? Because a lot of school kids are bumming a ride from their parents to go to school. And the parents come back home. So if they do one of these trips, average vehicle occupancy is 0.5. If they do one of these trips to be able, instead of go to work this way, they go, mm -hmm. eh, average vehicle occupancy is 0.89, whatever. Take the integral over all the trips, less than one. Because just because there's a person in there, that person is a... Is a, is a sensor, actuator, computer, and software. Oh, sure, it's a person. These, you know, they have the, one has the opportunity to come in there and do that. And then if, as we like to argue, if you do that and share rides, then maybe through a community throughout the day, your average vehicle occupancy is two or 2.5. 
And if you throw in all the other people that sort of tag along with somebody, so so I'm sure, Fred, when, when you take your wife out to dinner, okay, have you ever taken two cars? Maybe once out of the gazillion times. But you ride together. Now, that's not what I call a casual shared ride. I mean, I don't well, want to say- was, if, she, if she was angry enough with me to say, take separate cars, we probably wouldn't be going to dinner, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, perfectly, right? You want, and I don't want to say you're dragging her along or she's dragging you along when you go shopping together. I don't, you know, I don't want the, we don't want to go down the, you know, the cliches. I mean, it's not pretty, okay? But in fact, you know, whenever you see, you know, a bunch of people in a car, you know, there's really, if there's a bunch, meaning more than one, there's really probably only one person that was the lead decision maker and the, all the other ones are really tag-alongs. So if you're going to choose to make that trip via this mode, it's the person who does the mode decision, the way to go. It's the important person. And then you have to look into their own, their minds and say, that's a rational individual. And if that rational individual, what what are they what what's that entity looking at to try to decide to go this way with this mode as opposed to this way, this way, this way, this way, this way? Who knows how many ways you want to put out there? Whatever the smorgasbord of opportunities, pick just one. And we also have to recognize in this process that of those smorgasbord of opportunities. There's the opportunity to say, forget about it. I'm staying home. I'm not going to go. Probably. I don't, I don't know that this has ever been tested. Pro but probably. I will put out the, you know, the metric that probably Most of the value of having assumed GM does go in, put their vehicle out there in a place like Trenton, provide this mobility affordably and so on. Probably most of the people taking that in the beginning are people that wouldn't have gone. They didn't have a good way to go. Transit didn't serve them. Otherwise, they would have used it. They stayed home, even though they wanted to go there at that time. But now, because you have this, they go. It becomes the top of the things, of the rank order of things. Staying home is no longer at the top. Now, we've called this, you know, in the jargon, latent demand forever. People say, oh, latent demand. That's not latent demand. These people, they haven't gotten the benefit to be able to being able to go to where they want to go because you only go to someplace because it's going to be a value to you. Net value. The value of getting there and being there minus the cost of getting there. I mean, you know, that's the introductory lecture of every, you know, transportation course. First principle. And if they don't go, that means they didn't have a way that was cheap enough to allow them to extract positive value out of going. And it boils down to quality of life, as you've been saying. For it boils down to quality of life. You would think that every representative, every senator, every person running for president would say, oh, my goodness, this gets me votes. I haven't heard one of them mention this. People chase safety. Yeah, okay, great. You know, already agreed, it's got to be safe. But the reason why people didn't take whatever they, they had of the opportunity of things to take was, well, maybe they had a scooter outside that they could have used and realized that the holy hell, the damn, I mean, that is so darn unsafe. For me, my wife won't let me use Elizabeth. Don't you hear? She won't even let me get on a bike. 
Oh, and, uh, yeah, oh, and yes, for some of us, it, it is it is the safety question. Vermont, no, they just didn't have an affordable way to go that was that was better than walking or crawling. And if you really then look at that and would put that lens on it, you say, oh my goodness. And in fact, you'd probably, uh, if you did a proof of market demonstration and you looked at your ridership, probably every trip you have on there is, is a trip that wouldn't have been taken. Somebody didn't go to, 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 to Trenton City Jail to visit or help an inmate. Somebody didn't go across town to shoot hoops. Somebody didn't go visit a friend that was ill. Somebody didn't go to synagogue, didn't go to temple, didn't go to a job at, at, at Amazon facility because there's no way to get there reliably enough, enough of the time so that you can punch in on time enough so that you don't get fired. I bet that's where we would see people going. People going to Walmart. Why would anyone take an origin vehicle to Walmart? Why? It's because they don't have a car. And they couldn't find anybody easy enough to bum a ride. And they found this to be, my goodness, Certainly better than walking or crawling to Walmart. And guess what? I think we would see a lot of people using this to go to Walmart. Now you can exchange Walmart to, you know, whatever name of an establishment that that would provide, you know, that people want to go to. Anyway, that's what the book's about. That's what we've talked about. <sighs> no, but you know. Stay People tuned. are tired of me. There's, there, there's more to come. There's more to come. Moving on, Alan. Tesla yeah. shares uh, maybe took a breather today, but they've been performing like a SpaceX rocket of late. Uh, Jesus. Following announcements that GM and Ford will use the Tesla EV charging standard, and there's probably more behind the, the, the rise too, but uh, it's been uh, interesting to watch. It's been interesting to watch been interesting to watch it's been interesting to see the market response and i don't know um again i, I always link to rob mauer's uh, uh valuations of you know the day on the market for tesla and you know encourage people to listen to it. he seems to be very good very competent uh whether it, you know it's all smoke and mirrors you know it doesn't look like smoke and mirrors to me or snake oil you know. Well, the partnerships with GM and Ford and uh, probably more to come certainly bode well. I, I think so. And I think it a bodes new, a new well. Revenue stream it, it, for the it, right. And I think hopefully it bodes well for, for Ford and GM and if, well, Volkswagen jumps on Volkswagen too, that, that in a sense, you know, um, it's, it's trying to be able to make it easier for the customers, whomever's customers. Okay, so it really, you know, for GM and, and Ford and so on, it'll give them much more opportunity to, to, to get charged. And since if they, and to take the, the whole it charging issue somewhat off the table in terms of the desirability of, of EVs versus internal combustion engines. Right. If you don't have a reliable charging station to go to that you know it's going to work when you get there, you know. Yeah. And, and not going to sell EVs. And that it's going to be available when you get there. I mean, if, if going to an EV station is like going to Costco to get your gas filled up here in, here in central Jersey, in which the line is forever. Um, why? Because I guess Costco sells it, you know, two cents less. Than it. And of course, I'm in line forever to get two cents less because I'm cheapskate. Uh, but, um, um, you know. Uh, yeah, there are going to be some places in which there's going to be a line. There are going to be other places in which there's not a line. My goodness, you know, you know that you can put that information out there. I mean, I hope, you know, uh, people at Trimble that are, you know, still doing co-pilot put that as an option in co-pilot. I mean, you know, of course, that's 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 kind of information you want to put on there so that, 
in real time, you, you, you have some expectation as to whether or not you'll be able to get a charge and not a charge and have, have that's what software does really well. Okay, and databases and systems and, you know, go do that, have a ball. Another quick item from the uh, latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, Uber is reportedly launching a peer-to-peer -peer vehicle sharing service, something like what Turo has been doing, as Jalopnik points out. Yeah, I guess they're trying everything. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And I don't know whether or not Turo has, you know, who knows what uh, intelligent property, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, isn't this what Elon Musk has talked about too? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at some point, if Elon, if, if Elon really allows, you know, buyers of Teslas to do to Airbnb their Teslas. Uh, during the day uh, or during the whenever, I guess, you know, maybe Uber will try to get involved with with Airbnb and Teslas. Although, you know, there's there is so much responsibility associated with Airbnb and Teslas, unless Uber is willing to make sure they have a, a nice big war chest available in case anything bad happens in that Airbnb and process. Uh, I guess the, the difference with this is there are drivers involved as opposed to uh, Musk's vision of, of the, the vehicles leaving your driveway by themselves and, and, and transporting other people. Sure, but lots of other folks have put vehicles out there for sharing. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science to suggest, hey, if I have a vehicle and somebody else can use it, somebody, you know, can somebody else go in there easily to use it? The issue with it is, is that again, there's a responsibility overlay on this thing, okay? If I'm putting my vehicle out there to sh for you to use, Fred, um, I think I have some implied responsibility that that vehicle is going to do everything, you know, that you want it to do. And certainly on the safety end, you know, I can't imagine how to deal with that. And so I'm going to have to tell New Jersey manufacturers that, you know, I'm just putting my vehicle out there for, for Fred to use. And in fact, um, I'm getting revenue from this. And I would suspect that New Jersey manufacturers, my you know, car insurance company is going to come back and say, hey, Alan, we want a piece of that revenue. And what piece they ask of that revenue may not be small because all of a sudden, you know, what kind of constraint do I put on you to not take my vehicle and see, oh, my goodness, the speedometer on this is it can go 220 miles an hour. Let me see if I can get it to go 220 miles an hour. Oops, I'm in New Jersey. Ah. And who deals with that one? And, you know, the, the, in all of these things, and the same thing Elon's going to face with respect to trying to Airbnb his Teslas. Now, I think what he thinks, I, oh, I hate to suggest what Elon thinks, but what he might think is that he has such a big pipe into that vehicle. He's going to be able to watch that vehicle. And if that vehicle starts misbehaving, he's going to automatically pull it over to the side and turn it off and say, you know, put the person say, go stay in the corner with a, with a dunce cap and you can't get to use it again until you have a note from your, your mother or the equivalent. But there has to be, there has to be some responsible oversight on the sharing process. New Jersey manufacturers asked me if I use my vehicles in, in a, a ride hailing operation. Why? Because, because I, I, they think that they're renting to a, they're, they're, they're insuring a, a consumer using the vehicle for his or her own purposes. But if all of a sudden put this vehicle into a commercial operation, it takes it from consumer that has consumer protection over here to business commercial thing for which 
the commercial entities only get insurance if they're deemed to be responsible. And of all of a sudden, you know, their responsibility track history goes south. You know, their rates go up astronomically much more than if all of a sudden my driving goes south and my insurance rates go up. So, you know, this dynamic exists here. And, you know, to be able to jump back and forth between consumer that has all these sort of consumer protection things that sort of protect the consumer thinking the consumer is doesn't have the resources of a commercial operation that can, you know, really do things right. You're, you're in this mess between them and I don't know. Sure, you can build a business there. Maybe. Look at the trouble that Uber and Lyft have had to build a business out of what they're doing. They're not finding, oh my goodness, these aren't gig workers, they're employees. They're not only employees, these employees probably have labor protection in terms of, 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 of labor and rights here, there, and healthcare and everything else, and da, 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 and every other kind of uh, things on that. I, you know, the whole concept, oh, it's just going to be a gig worker, you know, you know it don't, on, I mean, guess what? If it's a computer doing the driving, all you need to make sure is that the people that have put together the, the sensors, the actuators, the, the computers, and the software are responsible. Get a good housekeeping seal of approval on each one of those guys. That's the opportunity that, that GM Cruise has, my view. But I, I, they know that. Everybody else knows that. I don't know why we keep repeating it, Fred. Not everybody does, <laughs> but they will. Maybe. I don't know. I'm crazy, guys. So what can I tell you? Well, you can find more of us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you turn to for podcasts. Smart speakers can play us, too, if you have one. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe and have a great Father's Day weekend for those of you who are dads. Is that right? It's Father's Day? Oh, my goodness. I get to have a birthday and a Father's Day in the same week or almost the same week. Anyway, everybody enjoy uh, whatever. I just turned 39 recently, so I'm a happy camper. You look great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>